unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. We welcome you to the program once again. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show my former WGTO colleague. He hosts the Todd Wright Toddcast, the Todd Wright Fantasy Football Podcast. And runs the Todd Wright Golf Tour. Now, we could uh, throw you a curveball and int- introduce somebody named Ron Smith, but that wouldn't work. So we bring you Todd Wright. Hello, Todd. How are you? Hello, Jeff. How are you? It is great to have you back on the show once again. And uh, we're going to cover a variety of topics. And, you know, we don't want to overdo the coronavirus talk as you get that everywhere else. And we want to bring you content to give you a break from that fatigue. But we do have to touch on it for a few moments because... It is affecting the sports and entertainment world and everything else in a way we have never seen before. There's a thin line between being prudent and panic. And uh, it is dev- just amazing what has happened in the sports world this week. It's very surreal, isn't it? Yeah, I was asked by a friend of mine who hosts on VEASAN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network, when I made an appearance to talk about the Players' Championship, when we felt that would be played beyond just the first round, if there was anything in my career I could compare this to, it was after I had worked for you, and I said, you're just asking me a question, so I'm going to answer it from my personal working perspective. The last time I had to talk about significant postponement and cancellation of events without much of an idea on how long those postponements and cancellations would be was the attacks on Mm 9-11. And uh, again, I'm just commenting on what it meant from a work standpoint for me, what I had to talk about. And honestly, Jeff, I feel for, I mean, I left the business full-time six, seven years ago for various reasons, but I feel for my colleagues who are doing now what I did then, and that is trying to fill programming without any active sports to talk about. I mean, it's one thing that two days ago, yesterday, today, that you can talk about why events are being postponed, why they are being canceled, potential timelines for the return. But after a while, you can't keep regurgitating the same thing, and especially networks that plan to have all this NCAA basketball over the next few weeks, whether it was men and women, and they have none of that and nothing else to fill. I don't envy that at all. Yeah, that is a tough spot. And, you know, you mentioned 9-11. At least, you know, you felt like sports would be back sooner than later and, you know, give the country something to focus on and kind of try to move past that tragedy. At that time, in this case, we're kind of in no man's land because, you know, it could be, you know, just a couple of weeks. It could be much longer. It's it's, it's very, very tough to put a gauge on. Yeah, there's uh, you don't know much and I don't know much. And people that are asking us for answers, we just have to be open and say we don't have any. Uh, I think it was very telling that you had events that tried to proceed without fans for the right reasons. Uh, within 24 hours or so, decide not to proceed at all and put those working these events and the actual participants of the events and prevent them from being in any danger as well. So I get it. I understand it. I don't have to like it. But as, uh, the, as I said on my Todd Wright podcast posted earlier today, I think the best thing I've heard is better to overreact 
than underreact. And I even said on my podcast earlier today, in, in some way, just from that standpoint, it reminds me of living in an area that can be impacted by oncoming weather systems, tropical systems, tropical storms, and hurricanes, where there's this feeling from some that we, as a community in these areas, overreact uh, to the possibilities, yet uh, I'd rather overreact than underreact in those situations. I've only had to evacuate or been impacted three times in my life living in Central Florida, uh, and I would rather overreact than underreact in a situation like this that is global. Mm. Well, let's uh, move on to some other topics because you know there was lo- there was lots going on before this interruption in the sports world, and wanted to kind of touch on a few things with you as far as you know. I know you just recently went out west, did a little spring training uh, trip out there, and your Cincinnati Reds, who were longtime residents in Plant City. And they vacated Florida for Arizona, I, you know, and I think, you know, several years ago, there was some fear that, you know, the Grapefruit League might be no more. Uh, but thankfully, the Grapefruit League has stepped up and gotten facilities and things like that and gotten the geographic area together for teams not to have that heavy travel, which, you know, what they did in Arizona was brilliant by getting all those uh, in basically like a pod system. Uh, tell me about your trip out there for uh, spring training in the Cactus League. It was very brief. I mean, my trip was, as I make many trips to Las Vegas, but I had said for 10 years since the Reds left the Tampa Bay area, you were right. They spent a bulk of the time in Plant City. Prior to that, when I was very young, my grandfather took me to see them at Al Lopez Field, which is which was on the grounds that now Raymond James Stadium exists. Uh, then Al Lopez Field was next to the old uh, Sombrero, Tampa Stadium, where the Bucks played. And then they moved down to Sarasota. And the Reds could not get what they wanted out of the city of Sarasota in terms of upgrades to that facility, and they moved west. And it turns out after they moved west, the city uh, and that facility were upgraded to attract the Baltimore Orioles. But the Reds weren't the only ones to do this, as you've sort of alluded to. There were a number of teams that formerly trained in Florida that left for new complexes that were built in Arizona. And, Jeff, I'll just tell you from my near 20 years of doing national broadcasting where I had some pretty good relationships with Major League Baseball players who just spoke freely to me about a number of things. Virtually every one of them that trained in Florida and in Arizona and was able to make the comparison told me there was no comparison, that Arizona was just a much better setup for spring training for them from a player's perspective and it took me to go out to Arizona to understand why and the reasons why is because all the facilities are very new Um, there's no concern about weather at all the only thing that can be different from day to day is the winds or whether it's overcast or not that's it there's no concern about rain there's no concern about being too cold there's no concern about being too hot Um, and also one of the more appealing things for these players is the longest commute that they are going to have to get to a road game is 30 minutes. That's it. That's how long it takes. And in Florida, you can't do that because if you were going to, and I know the way they do the schedule, they don't take teams from say West Palm and Jupiter and have them come over to play in Clearwater or Dunedin or 
potentially that much down in Fort Myers or Northport or Sarasota or Bradenton. But the point is, in Arizona, you can have everyone play everyone, and it doesn't take more than 30 minutes to get team personnel to the stadium themselves. Also, Jeff, you might be interested. I remember, as I was walking around, the Reds share a stadium with the Indians. The Indians uh, occupied it for one year before the Reds came in, so both Ohio teams train in Goodyear, Arizona. So the stadium is now just a little over 10 years old. It's aged just fine. Um, most of the stadiums in Arizona, I was walking around, and I said, why does this feel so spacious? Why does it almost feel like I'm not even in a stadium? In Arizona, what they do, Jeff, that they can't do in Florida is they basically build a hole into the ground, create a field. The stands are on the, uh, are on the incline to the field, and then they build a couple of structures around in the home plate area uh, for concessions and press boxes and, and maybe some suites. But if you walk out towards left field or center field or right field, the only thing between you and the roads you came in on or your car is a fence. That's it. Those are the fields that they're built into the ground. These aren't stadiums built from the ground up. It's just a very relaxed, comfortable feel out in Arizona for spring training, and I totally get it now. I still love our Florida spring training. You know, I just went down to Fort Myers to finally see Jet Blue Park at Fenway South. Honestly, I think it's the best. If you're looking for a unique experience that compares to the major league team that plays there, the way they have built JetBlue Park at Fenway South with the Green Monster in left with seating on top of the Green Monster and even the pesky pole and the bullpen set up the same way, I think that might be the best park in all of spring training but I get why players prefer Arizona. Yeah, that's very interesting and a very unique perspective. Thanks for sharing that for sure. And as you mentioned, you are a frequent Vegas visitor. They will have their own National Football League team as the Raiders are moving in and will start next season. And uh, I guess you got to look at the new stadium and uh, tell me about that. Uh, it's impressive, Jeff, just as all of these uh, new facilities are that are being built for National Football League teams. Now, I can't speak firsthand uh, since I've gone away from, if you will, active duty. I don't travel as much to all of the NFL stadiums. I haven't been uh, to the new one in Atlanta or the new one in Minnesota. Uh, and we have new stadiums opening this coming year in Los Angeles and in Las Vegas. But, I mean, you can't miss it when you – I personally, when I leave the Vegas airport – to drive uh, to my hotel at the Westgate Superbook, I take I-15 North to Sahara, and it's right there on the left side of the road. I think the best thing I've heard about it in the last six months was the home of the, the Raiders, always known for the black hole. Well, they now have built a black hole. It is this <laughs> black, shiny, uh, oval structure uh, that will have a retractable roof. There have been a lot of problems with the roof, similar to when they opened uh, the Mercedes-Benz Dome uh, in Atlanta, problems with opening and closing the roof for different reasons. That It's one thing to design the technology. I guess it's another thing to actually build and apply it and make sure it works right. So that could be an issue as we get closer to opening day. But it, it fits right into the profile of all these other magnificent, very modern-looking stadiums that have been added in the NFL in the last five years or so. 
How is the city of Las Vegas, uh, how pumped are they to have an NFL team? Well, the, the Vegas Golden Knights were a pretty good litmus test for how Las Vegas was finally going to receive having their own professional sports. You know, they hadn't really had any, insert your own joke here about professional sports, they hadn't really had their own team of any national significance since the Tarkanian teams of 30 years ago at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So while Vegas has been a much talked about destination because of the growth of Las Vegas and the uh, influx of, of more and more people moving there rather than just vacationing there, uh, in addition just to the interest in sports from a gambling perspective, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights have worked extremely well, and I attended a game there as a longtime friend and colleague of mine from the University of Miami runs their, uh, runs their sales department. And uh, T-Mobile Arena is wonderful, and the Vegas Golden Knights got off to, uh, as we talk about bad things happening in our world, if you remember, the, the opening night of the Vegas Golden Knights, um, they had to find a way to bring the community together uh, after the shootings at the music festival across the street from Mandalay Bay. Mm -hmm. And they handled it extremely well. And it was on that first night, if there were any doubts, that professional sports and the city of Las Vegas could become one. All those doubts went away. And then the team goes all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals and has been playing at a high level ever since. I think that set the groundwork. The Raiders' experience will be different. We're obviously talking about uh, a slightly different location. It's across I-15 from the Strip, not on the same side. There, There's very limited parking. Uh, I'll just put it to you like this, Jeff. If, if uh, based on the capacity of the new Raiders stadium, if everybody can get 27 people into one vehicle, you can all park there. <laughs> Otherwise, how are you going to get over there? And I know it's Uber and Lyft and cabs, but you know, walking in August or September is not necessarily something people want to do uh, based on the heat in Las Vegas. But I'll tell you this, for all the years I've gone to Las Vegas, and even before the Raiders were announced as moving there a couple of years ago, they have the biggest fan base of any fans in Las Vegas. Um, and even the sports books generally have to adjust their number on the Raiders because there are so many people, whether they have moved permanently from L.A. or Oakland or regularly visit from California, who are Raiders fans, and are regularly in Las Vegas. It has always been one, if not the most popular team in Las Vegas, so it makes sense for them to move there. Well, I'll tell you, that's while on the topic of football, you know, the XFL, the 2.0 version started this season. Tampa has a franchise of the Vipers. How do you think the XFL was doing? What are your impressions of the league, even though it's a small sample size because of having to shut down because of the coronavirus? Um, sort of mixed here, Jeff. Uh, I think it looked like strike football to me. And honestly, if the NFL went on strike, that's those are the players they would have had. Mm -hmm. um, some of the initial quarterbacks that they touted, both locally and nationally, uh, weren't playing by week three. Uh, they were ineffective. They were benched or hurt or both. Um, 
the accounting tickets distributed was a trick the XFL used. Um, to me, uh, attendance looked very scarce in Los Angeles, New York, and Tampa, while attendance seemed to be more than adequate and perhaps surprisingly good in St. Louis and Seattle, while franchises in Houston and Dallas and D.C. were doing okay. Um, but the quality of the football itself, uh, the faster game did not materialize. I, I think the 25-second play clock turned out to hurt the league because uh, quarterbacks just aren't ready to snap the ball sometimes, uh, and that leads to more negative or zero plays. Um, we haven't had a lot of high-scoring games, not a lot of big plays. Um, some of the rules have been interesting, such as the three-point conversion and the much-talked-about kickoff. Uh, but I, I don't think I don't think it did as well as they would hope. Now, I will say this. I think, and they had a legitimate reason, to call the season after five games. It leaves people wanting more of it. Mm-hmm. So in a way, and obviously nobody wanted this, I think the XFL gets a second chance because they had a legitimate reason to stop play after five weeks because they never embarrassed themselves. TV ratings didn't bottom out. Attendance didn't bottom out. You didn't have a Tampa Bay Vipers team at one and eight playing a lousy, um, uh, a lousy team from another city in front of 2000 people in week nine or week 10. Um, So they now have almost a year to correct their mistakes. And honestly, Jeff, because I was approached to do Vipers play-by-play and I turned it down, behind the scenes there were still many things that were very disorganized, which is kind of hard to believe from a Vince McMahon-run WWE and the fact that, let's remind people, they announced this league two years in advance. Mm -hmm. They had two years to get this right, and there were some things that they were still scrambling to do literally days before the opening game. Now they get a chance to correct their mistakes, be more organized. People are a little familiar with the product. People in Tampa, Jeff, only got to go to two home games. They would have played at home tomorrow, um, Saturday. So maybe there were some people that said, you know, I always kind of wanted to go to a game. I hope they come back next year. That's why I think playing just the five and having a legitimate reason to say that's enough for the overall health of the United States, we're going to back off, we're going to reevaluate, and we're going to try to do this better next year for a full season. Yeah, and you would also think, uh, given the uh, the failures of the AAF, that they would have uh, been a little bit better organized coming into, into this season. Yeah, I think, look, the quality of play reminded me of the AAF. Mm-hmm. And, Jeff, there was a significant percentage of players who played in 2019 in the AAF and played in 2020 in the XFL. And there were some of the same challenges. When you put guys together offensively with new coaches and new play calling who don't know each other and haven't been together for more than a few weeks at a time, they're not going to be on the same page. It's not like the defenses are great. The offenses just aren't ready to play together because they don't know each other. They don't know the terminology. Uh, coaches tend to get very conservative conservative because of that and just try to move the chains uh, rather than hit on big plays down the field. So I think the one difference, Jeff, first of all, well, the main difference was 
and I, I've taken a look at why the AAF failed. The initial money behind the AAF was from a guy who was running a cryptocurrency scheme. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't good. Say what you want, like or dislike Vince McMahon. He has real money. Yeah. He's been running a major sports entertainment entity for a long time, and he had actually run professional football before and admitted some of his mistakes. So the money was legit. The second part is, I guess what the XFL proved was, if you put something that at least looks like a sporting event on ESPN or Fox, people will check it out. The AAF did not have that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that ESPN and Fox are better than the other sports networks, but Jeff, when you and I come home or when I go to a sports book in Las Vegas, what are the events I expect to see first? The ones on ESPN and the ones on Fox. Mm-hmm. And they were in, they were in revenue share deals uh, with very professionally run crews and broadcast teams um, in four separate time windows that made sense. So from a television partner standpoint, the XFL really got that right by just being on ESPN and on Fox. Well, let me ask you about a couple of other franchises in Tampa. Let's talk about the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning at the time of the league shutdown. Definitely one of the best teams in the National Hockey League, just like they were a year ago. Are they primed this year, should play resume, are they primed this year to basically revenge that uh, terrible, disappointing, and epic failure of last year? I still have my doubts. I mean, I don't think anything can match what they did last year, but the only thing that would avenge it is if they do what the Virginia Cavaliers did, Mm. who one year lost as a number one seed to a 16, and then the next year they come back and they beat Texas Tech and they win the national championship. That's what it's going to take. I have, you know, at the time that it happened, Jeff, I think the entire organization, as well as the entire city of Tampa, was in complete shock. Um, And there was no accountability for what happened. The general manager wrote it off as a fluke. John Cooper famously said at last year's trade deadline, we did something by doing nothing. Um, They may have gotten what they deserved. Uh, This year I've seen the organization in ways correct some of those flaws, both on and off the ice. They were much more active at the trade deadline while they didn't bring in any big names, uh, but they actually did something by doing something. Uh, They have addressed some customer service concerns. They actually seem like they want to avoid what happened a year ago. Uh, At the same time, you have to go out and actually do it. I have my doubts whether they're better than the Boston Bruins in their own division. And because of the unique way that the NHL does their playoffs, if you can't work your way through everybody in your division, you don't make the conference finals. I believe the Lightning did win the season series against Boston, but winning a series over six months as opposed to over seven games is a different thing. There are two types of hockey, regular season hockey Mm -hmm. and playoff hockey. And the Lightning were not prepared for playoff hockey last year. I'm still wondering if they have that extra want to that's been missing the last five years that teams like Boston and Washington and St. Louis and Vegas have had in recent years. And how about the Tampa Bay Rays? How did you uh, like their prospects going into the 2020 season? Well, it seems like every year it's, uh, 
it's a get-to-know process mm-hmm. as it relates to the Rays. Uh, two years ago, they won 90 games. Last year, they won 96, win the wild card game, and take the Houston Astros to five in the American League Division Series. But uh, a number of those guys are gone, most notably Tommy Pham, uh, their everyday left fielder, and a guy with a very high on-base percentage who was very consistent hitting second, uh, was uh, shipped out to San Diego for prospects. Um, you know, the the three-headed monster that ran the Rays has all split up across baseball now, uh, but it seems like the plan is still in place, and uh, what they do has been working in recent years. We only got to look at them for a couple of weeks in spring training before the uh, halt to spring training altogether and the ultimate delay for the start of the season. But, Jeff, you and I would be wrong to just write off the Rays because they had to ship some players out and brought some new prospects in simply based on the fact that they seem to know how to uh, build a winning team based on the fact that they've averaged 93 wins over the last two years. So I think it's fair to assume they could win close to that again this year and be back in the postseason. It is amazing what they do. And, uh, of course, you are a big PGA guy. You've long worked uh, with uh, PGA Tour Radio, uh, did some work with the Golf Channel. Um, Wanted to get your take on Patrick Reed and the quote-unquote cheating situation there. Um, You know, is the, the, the venom that is out towards him, is it justified? Say that again, Jeff. Say is, that question again. Yeah, so is the venom towards Patrick Reed, is it justified? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, VJ Singh dealt with this a little bit, um, and at times other players, at least in my lifetime of covering golf, have dealt with accusations of cheating or skirting the rules. Um, and Reed is, is dealing with this, uh, much the way the Houston Astros are dealing with this. Reed's handling it very well. Jeff, he's a terrific player. Mm-hmm. But when he won the Masters a, a few years ago, even before some of these things came to light later, it was probably one of the more unpopular victories uh, for a player in some time. And uh, But Reed went down to Mexico, won at the World Golf Championships there. Uh, he, had, he put up a decent number in the first round of the Players' Championship. Um, and you know what? I mean, years ago, he said uh, he considered himself a top five player. As of right now, he, the official World Golf ranking doesn't say it, but many think he is playing at a top five level. He just needs to acknowledge, be accountable, and no longer do things that bring his behavior on the golf course into question. I mean, he can, he can do anything he wants attitude-wise. Um, Hatton, who won at Bay Hill last week, who I actually had picked in my fantasy pool uh, to break through and have the win last week, lets his temper get the best of him. There are a number of guys like that. John Rahm blew a 54-hole lead at the players last year and probably would have won a major by now if, his, if he could control his emotions. You know what? That's okay. It's not okay for the player, but it's okay to be human. Nobody's going to hate you because you get angry at yourself because you hit some bad shots. It's another thing when... You try to cheat the game. And if Patrick Reed can eliminate that going forward and just consistently hit fairways, greens, and make putts, eventually people will come around to just respecting his game, whether they root for him or not. 
And before I let you go, we got to talk some Cowboys because uh, we are two of the biggest Cowboy fans that I know. What's your take on the Mike McCarthy hiring? I didn't love it, but I certainly didn't hate it. It just didn't seem like uh, with the coaches that were available last year for the teams that were looking for head coaches, that there wasn't that big time, obvious hire out there for anybody. So what did Jerry Jones do? He went out and hired the guy who got in his way of getting to the Super Bowl with that number one seed from a few years ago when Dak and Zeke were, uh, were rookies. And granted, a lot of the credit for that goes to Aaron Rodgers before he turned on Mike McCarthy. But Mike, you know what this reminds me of, Jeff? And tell me if I'm wrong. Back when you and I worked together in, in 95, when the Orlando Magic went to the NBA Finals, and people look back at that team, and they give Shaq and Penny all the credit. And when people wonder why that Magic team didn't do better, they point the finger at Brian Hill. And I always thought that was wrong. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. They look back, they see that the team won, ironically, in Jerry World in Super Bowl forty-five over the Steelers. But at the same time as they're praising Aaron Rodgers for being one of the best quarterbacks of all time, why do they point the finger at Mike McCarthy, which Aaron Rodgers did, and say he's the reason they haven't won more? I don't buy that. Much as I say Brian Hill deserves as much credit as Shaq and Penny for what the Magic did in 95, I believe Mike McCarthy deserves as much credit as Aaron Rodgers for the Packers winning Super Bowl 45 and being regularly in the mix uh, in the NFC in the years that followed. And you know what? We, we did hear, right, that uh, McCarthy has embraced analytics as it relates to some of his play calling, some of his game management, uh, and will have people on staff uh, to assist him with that going forward. Uh, I think it's also very critical, and I think Tori Aikman feels this way as well, that the Cowboys make sure Dak Prescott's deal gets done well before Zeke's deal got done last year because you need to have Prescott with McCarthy in camp to work together. It's, it's different with Elliott last year. He could show up the week of the first game, hand him the ball 15, 20 times, he's going to get 100 yards. That was, that was easy. Dak needs time with McCarthy in this camp so the Cowboys can hit the ground running in 2010 or 2020. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that as well. And uh, the other Cowboy topic I wanted to t- touch on was the once again, the failure of the Hall of Fame to induct Drew Pearson. To me, that's one of the biggest travesties there is out there. Many of his contemporaries are in. He's the only member of the all-decade team that is not in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, And I am tr- totally biased because you know my favorite players are Roger Staubach 1A, Drew Pearson 1B. <laughs> so I will freely admit to that. Um, what, what are your thoughts? I thought you were going to say how Jerry wasn't putting Jimmy into the ring of honor this year with Jimmy in the Hall of Fame class. That's <laughs> where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> I love Drew I love Drew Pearson. I may not love him as much as you because you you are just an enormous fan of Drew Pearson. But I love Drew Pearson. When Mel Tucker turned his back on Colorado and went to Michigan State, Drew Pearson destroyed him <laughs> on social media yep. and even because his grandson had signed a letter of intent to play at Colorado for Tucker and Pearson said can anyone else help me get at this guy uh, I love what Drew Pearson did at the draft a few years ago oh, yeah. uh, and pumping up Eagles fans against the Cowboys Drew Pearson's production 
Jeff, we have to remind people that Drew Pearson was the first to win it, wear 88 yep. before Michael Irvin wore 88 before Des Bryant wore 88. Um, love the guy. I am with you. Will he just, I, I guess not every team, but there's always a player uh, or there's probably a handful that fall through the cracks of the Hall of Fame in their respective sports. Um, you know, many here in Tampa wonder why Fred McGriff never made it into the into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I have a feeling that there's no revisiting this with Drew Pearson, and it nothing's going to change. I'm not saying it's right. It's just the reality sometimes for certain guys. Yeah, and of course, the thing you brought up where you thought where I was going, yeah, that is that is incredulous that that Jimmy Johnson is not in the Ring of Honor already. It just shows there's still something there. You know, they have done they have done more talking about each other in a a friendly tone, a respectful tone in recent years, but the fact that Jimmy's name isn't up there with Aikman and Emmett and Irvin and Jimmy hasn't had his day in the new stadium and now he's in the Hall of Fame and Jerry has even sort of acknowledged, yep, yeah, uh, we have no plans to do that this year. It just shows there's still something there. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised as, as much as, you know, as much as I love Jerry Jones and I obviously love Jimmy Johnson, it, it really took that deep of discord to split up the special thing they had built together. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they could have gone on a run, a run like New England had gone on. Um, and won more than the three they did. Because uh, Michael Irvin admitted to me later when he was working at ESPN with me, I asked him, did he have any regrets from his days with the Dallas Cowboys? And he admitted to me on one of my shows that the team tanked the last season under Barry Switzer. Mm. And he said, I wish we had never done that because we gave up an opportunity to win another championship. Wow, that's pretty heavy stuff. And yeah, you, yeah, that does go to show you that yeah, there there is that 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 rift that is underlying, and yeah, it would have been you know Brady Belichick like had they been able to you know keep their stuff together. I would think so. Now there are Patriot apologists who would say no, 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 that's not even close. But you know the Patriots have kind of won their six Super Bowls in two sort of two gaps of three. Mm-hmm. They won what? They won uh, thirty four, thirty six. Do I have this right? 34, 36, 38, or no, 30, uh, am I getting this wrong? 36, 38, 39, because they skipped over the Buccaneers one. And then they won, what, 49, 51, 53. So there was a pretty good gap in there. Um, and then the, the upset against the Giants where they lost Super Bowl 41. I'm not saying that the, the Cowboys would have had a second run of three like the Patriots did, but they did win three even though they lost Jimmy Johnson just two Super Bowls into what could have been a five or a six year run. Yeah, that is a pretty, pretty incredible. Well, Todd, as always, we appreciate you being on the show. And again, remind folks uh, about uh, your particular podcast, your uh, and your and your golf tour, please. Jeff, you're very kind. Uh, the Todd Wright Toddcast just posted episode number ninety two. Uh, if you Google Todd Wright Toddcast and Google my full name, Todd Wright. 
and podcast because virtually every guy who does a podcast out there with the same first name had the same idea I did. <laughs> so I had to put my full name on the front of it. And if people Google the Todd Wright podcast, they will find it available on many major podcast platforms. Um, my fantasy football podcast will return in July for the fifth year. I have a terrific sponsor in Hooters that backs it every year. And uh, my fantasy uh, podcast gets a lot of attention for fantasy players. I'm on Instagram at ToddWright2020. And on Facebook, I'm simply Todd Wright in Tampa, Florida. My golf tour has been beyond all my expectations uh, as I host my 24th event in late April uh, at Black Diamond Ranch. A wonderful, highly rated pop property here in Florida. And then the Todd Wright Tour Championship, our annual major, will be held on the same Innisbrook Copperhead course where the PGA Tour annually, not next week, stages the Valspar Championship. So things have gone very well for the golf tournaments that I run for amateurs of any skill level, any age, male and female. That is terrific. Well, Todd, thanks so much again for taking the time, and uh, we appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Jeff. Thank you very much. Always great to have Todd on the show, and I've said it many times, one of the greatest sports talk talents who has ever done it, both locally and nationally. We appreciate Todd's time this evening. And as you know, there's no sports, but we are going to continue to endeavor to do this podcast. We may do a little more historical stuff. But we're going to talk sports here, give you a break, and give you another outlet. We also encourage you to listen to past episodes, even if you've heard them before. There's some good evergreen content out there, and it might be fun to hear things that I have proclaimed would happen and was totally wrong about that you could make fun of me with. I have no problem with that. So anyway, you can go to JeffAllenSportsTalk.com if you're not a subscriber Get on board and listen to those past episodes. And again, we'll uh, keep uh, trying to get these out. We're aiming to keep doing it on a weekly basis like we've always done. But it's a new challenge (laughs) in these times, and we will uh, do the best we can. And again, hopefully give you a little bit of break, a little something to take your mind off things, if you will. And as always, please follow me on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88. And uh, happy to engage with you via the social media platform. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.